Your biggest competitor is yourself. And as soon as you start saying, oh, well, I wish I wanted to be like whoever, you're completely setting yourself up for failure. And it's great to listen to other people's stories and glean from them, but then figure out how to internalize it for your own progress. Are you ready to master your mindset and your business? Join thousands of women each week who use this podcast as a tool to create financial and emotional wealth. And when you're ready to scale to the next level, visit theunstoppablewoman.com slash go. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Unstoppable Woman podcast. I'm your host, Amira Alvarez. I am the founder and CEO of the Unstoppable Woman. And I'm super excited to bring to the show today a wonderful entrepreneur and business owner. Her name is Trisha Talbot, and she is the managing principal of Doc Properties, which is a company that specializes in the investment interests of physician owners and medical office investors. And she adds value to these medical properties to increase cash flow and profitability and monetize the assets based on client investment goals. And Trisha lives in Scottsdale, Arizona, which is one of my favorite places, though I haven't been there in a long time, with her wonderfully patient husband and two gracious children that support her drive to make an impact, helping clinicians share their gifts Welcome, welcome. We are going to dive in. The first thing that I want to ask you about is your entrepreneurial journey. What got you? This is a very specialized field. Like when I when I think about this, I'm like, oh, this is ex- like this is niching at the finest. Okay, it's, it's not just investment real estate. It's not just you know uh, investment properties. It is for the medical industry specifically. And I'm just super curious about what got you into that. Are, are you, did you start in the medical field yourself or what was your, your I did entry? I, I started, I came in from the real estate side and I worked, um, my first job with, was with a developer that developed medical office buildings. So my first entry into commercial real estate, um, you know, ent- entry into the commercial real estate field as a female, is a bit of a challenge. It's a challenging anyway, but I didn't want to do residential. I wanted to do commercial. My my mother and my aunts had a residential firm and, you know, deals fighting over refrigerators and dishwashers was not really something I was interested in. So I wanted to do uh, more of the commercial side and I was planning to get my MBA. So I thought that that would, you know, sort of leverage off of itself. And then I was presented with this opportunity and I was, I did the, in by worked in the in-house leasing department for that company. And I really enjoyed it. You know, the the, the physicians, they really needed some help um, getting through the real estate process. You know, some of them are, are more savvy than others, but none of them have the time. And they really needed somebody to, to at least, if nothing else, synthesize the information that they needed to make decisions on at the end of their day. You know, typically they would call on their way to clinic in the morning or on their way home for from clinic and they needed information quickly. And I'm sure some of them do, but some don't, you know, that some of them prefer by the time they get home not to have to work anymore and go through and sift through emails about making decisions on on any real estate 
decisions that they need to for the day. Um, you know, tenant improvements they needed help navigating, and they and they so, needed the office. So it was something they needed. So you you started working for this firm and and found your niche almost immediately. Is that correct? So in commercial real estate, medical office or healthcare real estate, it falls under like the office. So there's there's five food groups in commercial real estate. It's land, apartments, industrial, retail, and then office. And medical office right now is, you know, I would argue it shouldn't be, but it is a, like a subset under office. And it's not like office, you're not, you're not dealing with attorneys, you're not dealing with insurance companies or, or other people that typically need office space. And, you know, you would argue that an insurance company and a law firm, they have pretty much about the same kind of footprint that they need as far as they need exterior offices, they need bullpen area, break room and that. With medical office, you know, a cardiology practice needs something different than a family practice or an orthopedic practice or a lab or an imaging center, like they all have different space needs. And so I found that really interesting as well, because there's there's obviously variety in that. And I, I found it in working for this firm that developed ground up medical office buildings, you know, they're one of the things that they needed to do was, you know, put, put tenants in a building that made sense to go there and keep the building successful, meaning that, you know, they either have a, an innate in- referral pattern or, you know, a, thinking of the patient you know, if they're going into a family practice, well, it'd be really great to have like, you know, maybe an imaging center and a lab in there as well so that they don't have to leave the medical building to get you these know. services. When was that? When did you first start? How long have you been in this industry for? So now 21 years. Gosh, I've been saying 20 years. But yeah, so 21. 21 years. So that's that's quite a long time. And so you've progressed from that original entry point into the industry Flash forward to us. Now you're the the managing director or the managing principal of Doc Properties. And is it different than what you were doing initially? What was the what was the transition to to this new role in business that you've been in? Well, I guess I've always wanted to start my own business and therefore um, you know, when you when you have that entrepreneurial drive and you're working for other people, there there comes a point when you're like a couple of things happen. One, you're either adding a, a tremendous amount of value and everyone else is making money off of you, which is usually the catalyst that makes you want to, you know, jump and do your own thing. And two, you you see ways that things can be better. And I've found in the other positions, I mean, I worked with some great people and business partner. We were together for 16 years. You know, we we did a ton. And I and I and I love the experience and everything I learned up and, you know, until I decided to go on my own. But there was always something that I was like, you know, I just see a better way of doing things. I want to move forward. And I also don't want to, I don't, I don't want other people's policies oppressed. You wanted some freedom there. Like you wanted to create your own experience rather than having to work within the structure. I love that. Okay. Fantastic. So that was really what was pivotal to you. Those two things. One, you had this creative problem solving, you saw how to make things better and you and this will appeal to the unapologetically ambitious women who listen to this. You you really were like, well, I want to make the money, not just put the the effort into helping other people. Now, there there are women who listen to this podcast who are entrepreneurs, meaning in 
corporations and they're making bank because they're adding huge value and you can add huge value in a corporation and, and uh, make lots of money. But there is something around that freedom piece that entrepreneurs really love. I also think that there's a little bit of more of a risk tolerance. Would you agree with that? I think. Yeah. And some people's lives don't allow for them to take risk. I mean, um, you know, there's there and there's different scenarios. I mean, if you're a single parent, it's really tough to to work um, as an entrepreneur and not know when your next paycheck necessarily is going to be on a consistent basis, especially when you get started. If you have some financial commitments, either you have aging parents or you have several children that you need to, you know, make sure that there there's that financial support, it's really tough to go on your own. So there's there's different considerations that people need to make based on their own. So let's life. dive into that. What was the toughest thing for you, whether you had those situations or not, but you individually, what was the toughest thing for you to go from working for someone else to starting your entrepreneur your own personal entrepreneurial journey? Or was it totally easy and and the the challenges, because there's always challenges, right? The challenges came later. I think I have to take you a little bit back and I'll I'll do this short version. So I've always, I think, had the entrepreneurial spirit because I worked, I mean, when I after college, I worked for software development companies and I worked for startup software development companies and that was super exciting until they could like I was working for the third one and they, you know, couldn't make payroll and I was in my early twenties and, you know, I was like, this isn't gonna work for me. And then because I had an exposure to real estate with my a family, I, I knew that people can be successful. I mean, people are kind of scared to go into real estate because they have that commission and stuff like fear and, and whatnot. And then I went into commercial, but my first job was a it was a it was a salary and commission compensation. And I think that was a great way to get into it. And then um, from there, though, I was like, you know, I really can do this commission situation. And I went into another situation where it was sort of a split. It was a less of a salary, more commission. So I sort of eased my way. And then after a period, about a year, I went when I had generated enough activity where I wouldn't starve going on commission, I was able to to make that leap. And then so you really did an you really did an incremental stepping forward and increasing the level of risk that you took there was always some risk, but you kept increasing right. it over time. Okay, that makes sense. Exactly. So so I eased my way into it. And then in commercial real estate, when you hang your license with a house, you know, whatever you produce, you you have a split with the house and the house is in theory, supposed to support you with some taking over some costs and or taking care of some expenses and whatnot. And in turn, the house is supposed to, in theory, you know, bring you some business and whatnot. And so therefore, it's supposed to be mutually beneficial in theory. And, you know, you both give them part of the money, but you're making more. So that's the theory of working for a house. So, you know, I was always, you know, based, you know, performance based. I mean, even through college, I preferred working at restaurants and stuff just because that versus, you know, another minimum wage job. I was like, I'm going to spend the time to to go out and do something. I want to maximize the amount of money I'm, I can possibly make based on how I can perform. So let's pause right, right there for yeah. a second. That's a level of perspective that many people don't have, especially at a young age, but also a level of personal responsibility for your outcomes. And do you think that that has been a, a key attribute to being an entrepreneur, taking that level of personal responsibility? 
You know, I've never had anyone sort of ask me that. But now that you have, you know, I think um, so there's a ton of personal responsibility. So first of all, being being that I um, am an entrepreneur, my time is my highest currency. So I have to be incredibly disciplined with my time. If I waste a day, that's on me. And I I have to make it up. And, you know, it costs me time with my family. Like if I'm like, hey, I want to take a Wednesday off. That means I have to work on a Saturday when my kids aren't in school and take that away. So I have to I have to plan because I there's things that I want to do and I want to work and I can't I don't only have so much time. And it also makes me disciplined where, you know, my phone calls and any meetings that I have, you know, I have like 15 minute slots, 20 minute slots, 30 minute slots. I do not book for an hour unless it's like an in-person meeting and we, you know, there's an agenda and things like that, because I love that time. Right. Yeah. There's some, there's so many good things to go with there. So let's, let me pause you and, and talk about the lens with which I see this and, and then (laughs) discuss this. Okay. So I look at this as this integration between the masculine and the feminine, the masculine. These are the essences that we have in us, right? The, the masculine is all about structure and is really like, this is the part of us as women who know that they need to get the results, right? We're, we're like managing our calendar by the 15 minutes, right? And it's very, it's very structured and it's very uh, delineated and we're conscious about that. And yet the feminine, at least in me, and I'm curious about how it is in you, also needs, it needs that structure in order to be creative. Like you spoke earlier about the fact that there's this this niche, this medical niche that you're in, but there's a lot of creativity in it. And I'm thinking, wow, that's a very limited niche. Where is she seeing the creativity? But I understand it from the perspective of like when you build structure and you give structure to something like a very defined industry that you're working in, there's so much, cre- it, it creates the space for the creativity. So right. with that as the frame, do you find a push-pull with, with okay, that's too much structure for me and I need, I need a little bit more ability to, to navigate and go in the, whatever direction I want to go in in your day? Or does the discipline always win? Maybe that's the way of putting it. So real estate in and of itself you is unpredictable. So I, you know, I have a basic structure for my day, but it may end up going in a different direction. But what happens is my structure then brings me back. So I might burn a couple hours in the morning for a pro- client problem that I didn't anticipate. But because I have the experience that I have, I'm able to find, you know, figure out how to solve it or at least put the, the pieces in place to to make it go towards a solution. And then I can snap myself back to my routine. So so it is a push-pull and, you know, the nature of real estate is what it is. Um, and then especially like with working with clinicians because, you know, they might be like, hey, I'm in between cases. I have 15 minutes, you know, and so that sort of, you know, and that's where I, you know, I put my structure around not only the project goals that I have, to move my company forward and work on those, but then also to have a little bit of space for my my clients to be able to to reach me. Because I don't want to be like, I'm sorry, I'm so programmed that I can't even talk to you. That's no. not that's not going to be successful. So my my structure allows for me to get things done, allows my availability to be for the clients 
that to to reach me and solve problems during the day. And was that always was that always easy for you? Because I think a lot of women in business they get push pulled, and and they haven't worked it out yet. And and it's especially big around kids, right? Right. Your your kids need you. They especially school age kids. They get sick. Do you drop everything? Where do? What's your? How do you navigate that? What did you have as a unique challenge around that? And then how did you solve for that? So a lot of this also, so what you're going into is like almost like personal development and and sometimes you need a coach to help you get there. Um, I've always been an early riser. So that's just a habit. I'm an early riser. And then, you know, I don't typically stay up very late. It's just my natural body rhythm. I'm better to get up early. So, you know, getting up early, I'm able to take care of myself. So I, my routine is, is five days a week. I try to work out doing, and I have different workouts. So some days are, are more intense than others just to get, because, you know, as a woman, your mind, when you, especially when you have young kids and a house and a husband, like you have all these like stresses that you put on yourself. And, and I think a lot of people do and, and you're like, okay, you know, I'm working, but then I also need to, you know, keep up with my responsibilities at the house. I don't know why we do it. We do. We try to be perfect everywhere, I think. And and that I think is a fails us because we can't be. And so that sort of clears my mind. And then um, I'm always a planner. So I plan my week. You know, I I plan by quarter and then, you know, by month and then each week like I, I plan. So those are habits that I've created around myself. So it's important that I sleep well. So there are certain things that I do to make sure that I sleep well. And the way that you sleep well is, you know, you typically take care of yourself during the day. So I eat well. And so all of these personal habits help me be able to, to keep up with my routine on a, on a continually daily basis. Because if you, if you don't eat well, if you have different addictions that cause you to, you know, be great and then not great the next day, you know, those things affect how you can perform. And so a lot of this that you're asking, you know, it comes from a mindset that I have and habits that I've created over time in order to allow me to be able to perform. It's not just the start of my day at eight and the end of my day at five. Like that's not, you know, the secret. There's a lot of things that happen in order to make those those hours the most productive that they can be. And did you find yourself naturally inclined to creating that level of discipline and structure and focus and personal accountability for yourself? Has that always been part of your nature? Or do you have to learn that because you hit some road bumps in the in the process of working for yourself? You know, obviously, I think it starts with my upbringing. My, you know, I was always expected to have my own spending money. Um, I was expected to have a job to pay for. So my my son is 16. So when I got a car, my parents did get me a used car, but I had to pay for my own car insurance. I had to pay for my own gas. So if I wanted to do anything, you know, these sort of behavioral, I had to be able to to do that. I've always been wanting to be completely self-sufficient and independent and not depend on anybody. So I always wanted to, you know, my parents were great, but I've always wanted to live on my own. Um, even though I'm married, I'd never wanted to be in a situation, and I see this a lot, where if something happens, like if there's divorce or there's death, and 
all of a sudden my spouse wasn't there, I didn't want to be panicking. I mean, it would be awful and I'd rather, you know, deal with the emotional side, but I don't want to be in a situation where it's like, okay, he's gone. Now what? My life is over and I don't even know what to do. I mean, my life will be irreparably permanently changed, but I will put one foot in front of the other and keep moving forward as hard and difficult as it is. Yeah. So it sounds like you've been really driven by financial freedom as a a major component of getting to freedom as well. Yeah. Financial time. Yeah. Yeah. Time is huge, right? It's the one resource we can't earn back, right? In, in, In this 3D world that we live in, there's 24 hours in the day. All yep. everybody has. Yeah. So did you always feel confident in your ability to grow this business? Were there ever times where you were like, not sure if I'm going to be able to do it? Of course. Yeah. And so so I don't know if you've heard of um, Dan Sullivan and Strategic Coach. Yeah. So talks, fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely. So he talks about this gap in the gain. So, you know, when you're feeling like it, the challenge is too big, you're in the gap. And then when you're when you're excelling in, you know, what you're doing it, and you're feeling good about it, it's the gain. And so when you're first starting out, the gaps and gains are really super high and low. Like you really feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to be able to figure this out. I'm never going to be able to do this imposter syndrome. You know, you have doubts and all of that or you have a failure. You have a setback. And, you know, I I think a good thing in commercial real estate is, you know, I've learned rejection. People have said no a lot and you just sort of take it. And at first you're like super upset about it. And then you sort of take it as, okay, you just take that person off the list and you move on to the next one because the people that do say yes, you learn from both. I mean, why didn't you get You figure out why you didn't get certain opportunities. And then, you know, you're able to add value to these clients and, you know, you guys learn things together. And you grow from those opportunities. And I would say as you get more experience, those gaps and gains, they get a little bit more even or digestible. And you just sort of say, okay, that's a failure. What am I going to learn from that? How am I going to use it? I mean, I've used as much as much from my failures as I have from my successes in order to continue my progress. Absolutely. So huge. We learn more. I think we actually learn more from our failures, our missteps where we've like fallen and you know, scraped our knees, right? And <laughs> like we learn, we learn so much more from that. It's a bigger wake up call than the successes. We we almost right. take the successes for granted. And and one of the things I want to circle back to that you said that I think is really super smart is that you've handled the setbacks by looking at what you could learn from them. And right. this to me is one of the biggest ways that you can up level both your belief system and your outer game, like the actions that you actually take. Like you can fine tune your skill set and you can fine tune your mindset if you you pause and don't go into the guilt and shame, but really look at, you know, what just happened here? How did I create this? What's the personal responsibility piece? How can I up level this? Do you do this on the personal level as well? Not just always oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean especially my kids now, they're 14 and 16, and they have no problem telling me how wrong I am, how much I don't know, you know, how out of touch I am. And I'm just like, you know, I I didn't have a phone and and social media, 
that all the other circumstances and concepts were exactly the same, but you know, what, whatever. And, you know, I mean, even my son, so my son, um, I'll, he'll start talking and I have a horrible habit of interrupting, which I continue to work on. And he's like, okay, so now that you're done talking and you interrupted me, can I speak? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, my 16 year old son is like the mirror in front of me. And so, you know, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, my husband, I mean, my husband, like, you know, he, he's my biggest supporter, but he will, he will set me straight if I'm being too much of, you know, overbearing or, or what have you. Let's dive into that. I think that's, I think that's important. Okay. So, because I think this is a tough challenge for women. They, they're they in the marriage. They're in some sort of relationship. They love their guy. And this is, obviously, I'm talking about heterosexual, but I think relationships. I think I personality. Think it I think it's the same. Like in say it's, yeah. it's a personality thing, too. Correct. And you're very much in your masculine during the day. You're driven. You're going for more. You've been in your masculine the way you describe your, your upbringing and college and how you looked at everything and you were very logical going forward, right? Like all of that. And then you have to come home and you're with this guy that you you love and probably has a more masculine essence. If you're telling me, I'm, I'm interpreting, I'm, I'm sort yeah. of guessing here. You're saying he's telling you that you're being overbearing and he's asking you to like, hey, you know? So how have, how have you, navigated that because I I think a lot of women, they hit a wall when it comes to that. They're like, the, the transition is challenging. Who you marry is one of your biggest decisions as an adult. And I don't think it matters the age. I think what matters is if you do not know who you are or have any sense of yourself and then you go and get married to somebody, whether or not they know who they are or not, if you don't know who you are, you have no idea how to be a partner to somebody. When we got married, I was 29 and he was 30, 35. So we weren't young and we, you know, we spent our 20s, um, you know, both products of divorce. We spent our 20s, you know, kind of figuring out our career paths. And then and mine was still sort of in flux. But at that point, we knew, you know, what your values are, you know, kind of if you want kids. And I, I never was the kind, I just was not a person where I knew I, I didn't know 100% I wanted kids. I felt like if I have a partner that I feel we would be make a good family and bring kids into it, then, you know, then I would have kids. But I was never one of those people where I needed to have kids to feel that I, I needed to have them. It was, I wanted to have kids if it was a good situation, but bringing kids into a horrible situation is not a good thing. So that, I think that's the first thing. So all of these decisions have like a lot of background. Like they're not just decisions I made. So I, you know, we, and we dated, we were engaged for a year and we dated a total of four years before we got married. So we really, like when I walked down that aisle, I say, I really knew what I was getting, the good, the bad, and he did too. And so, you know, I think we have a ton of acceptance for each other. We forgive each other a ton. We support each other. We're, we're each other's biggest fan. But then we also don't let the other one. Like I see a lot of this in any any relationship. It doesn't have to be marriage. But like even though I have a lot of what you say uh, masculine traits and some would say and I'm sure many, many women on this podcast have been told 
they need to tone it down. They're too aggressive. They're too assertive. They're too direct. Like I, I don't can't tell you how many times I've been told that. And now I'm just accept that that is who I am. And it's made me successful in a lot more ways than it has brought me failures. It certainly has brought me failures. But my husband and I know each other enough where I remember I came in the door one day and I had just been sort of beaten up by the market. And I came in sort of like guns loaded. And he was just he's also he's very so he's a lot more laid back. So I, I feel like sometimes he can take some of the pressure, but then he pushes it right back. And he, I walked in. He's like, I don't know who you're talking to, but I'm your husband and I'm on your side. You need to go back out the door and try again. So it's not like it's, you know, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And what are you like? You're totally disarmed because what are you going to do unless you really want to, like, push your spouse's buttons and you have no respect for them? You're going to listen and do what they ask. So, you know, he just has these ways of disarming me. Like, I mean, with a look, he can, I know it's like, okay, you're being way too much right now and, and you need to just back off. <laughs> and and it sounds like you really appreciate it. Do you, do you feel like you're a better person receiving that than oh, rejecting Absolutely. It? I mean, I think that's the biggest thing too, is you want to be, spend your time. I mean, so you spend your time with this person. You want them to bring out the best in you. You don't want them to bring out the worst in you because, you know, I know I just, that's kind of a horrible situation. So and I don't like that's like a, a qualitative thing. Like you, it's not something that you can. It's just people you're around. And I mean, there's certain people that bring out the best in you. There's certain people that expect more from you. There's and there's certain people that you're around and you they bring out the worst in you. And that's just a feeling that you have. And that's just and, um, and have those people been in business not just in your personal life that have brought out the worst in you yeah and how so, do you deal with that in business because you know is, are those clients are those people you're negotiating with right like are they in in your network there's a tricky line there that you have to walk yeah well in real estate you get all kinds of personalities so you just learn how you learn what to expect you learn the different personalities you, even in your personal life you can't just cut sometimes you just can't cut people out i mean if it's your mother or your brother or like a niece or a nephew like you can't just say i'm never going to speak to you i mean you can but probably doesn't work so you just have to learn like anything how to deal with a variety of people and different personalities and where like, you know, if you know that somebody brings out the worst in you, you just maybe if it's at a family gathering, maybe you don't get in a one on one conversation with that person and you make sure that, you know, you're in a group conversation with that person. And it's probably not the person that you spend a ton of time with, but you learn how to manage the moments that you need to be in the same room and the same with business. You know, you may not that's probably not your favorite person, but you're you try to find out what exactly, you know, they're looking for and you know, you just sort of manage the personality. Yeah, no, good, good, good. I want to go back to something you said when you were talking about your relationship with your husband, that by the time you got married, you knew who you were. You had that sense of self, self-image. And has that stayed stable over time or has that evolved as you've experienced more of life? Well, we're going to be celebrating 18 years in April. We both have changed over those 18 years. And, you know, I think that's kind of one of the things I'm incredibly grateful for is that it's also allowed us to change. I mean, we don't change radically. So I guess the, our core values are always the same. So we've both been family driven. Our family is very important to us. You know, we're both fiscally conservative. We don't over 
live our budget. I mean, there's certain foundational elements that I think are th- that people have to be on the same page on in order to make a relationship successful over a very long period of time. And I think at our core, they are the same and, and they're not, they're just not changeable. But every, like other things are. And I think if you keep coming back to your core values as being unchangeable, you have to allow other things to change. Mm-hmm. Good, good. So do you find that you always saw yourself as, had the identity as a successful entrepreneur, not just an entrepreneur, but someone who was going to be extraordinarily successful? I think I did. You know, um, I, so I, I, I was a ballerina in, uh, in upstate New York and, you know, there where I lived, the New York City Ballet was there for the summer. So there was a ton of opportunity for me to go and, um, and I would, you know, I was pretty good. And as I thought of my future, though, I was like, it does, is my future, um, you know, a ballerina, probably a starving ballerina um, for a while. And that was uh, not your financial freedom <laughs> course. Like that was you're like, hmm, that, that is not how I'm going to get there. Yeah. Right. Or, you know, am I going to go and, and find something to do that can bring me financial independence? And so that was a, one in decision inflection in my life that I had. To so make. let's let's pause there for a second. Was that a good decision? Because sometimes people are like, great decision. Everything in my life lined up. I wouldn't have been able to experience all these things. And I'm really happy with how it how it's played out. And some people have yes to all of that. And I have a little bit of regret that I didn't try. I didn't go for it. Where What camp were right. you in? Yeah. So I, well, I try not to spend, so I try not to get in the gap with regret. But mm-hmm. so I think it also depends, you know, my so my my dad was of you know my dad at 18 went and went into the military and then paid his way. And his premise was, you know, 18, you're done, you're out. So I always had that in the back of my mind. So I think that my path could have been the same if I pursued, you know, a baller, ballet career and at least up until, you know, my early 20s. I mean, I still think you can then you can go back to school. So I, I think that not there's not one path. I think it's your path. And I think if you are incredibly talented in it, like my my daughter's incredibly talented at softball, and I want her to go as far as she can with that, because you can always change. You can always go to school. You can finish what you're doing if you're talented in a sport or musical instrument and you want to pursue that. I would say when you're young, pursue it. Pursue it. Absolutely. And if you have the family support to do that, do it and excel and because excelling is excelling learning to excel learning to to challenge yourself it can happen in in a variety of ways and i think that's really important can we pause there you just combine two things that people don't often put together right there they are connected you said to excel you need to challenge yourself right excelling is excelling is excelling and you need to challenge yourself those two things are not separate. Like in order to become world-class in whatever you're doing, you might have a natural inclination towards it. You might be, you know, if we take your ballerina experience or your real estate experience, you might have a natural inclination to both of those things and be better just from the get-go than someone else. But in order to be world-class at it, you have to put the reps in. You have to 
to really grow yourself. And there's going to be places where you're deficient and you need to grow through. For me, that's been both skill set and mindset. I, I had to learn on both sides. I had more confidence actually on the skill set side than on the mindset side. <laughs> so, but, you know, I, I had to really, I think that's because, you know, I, I was that good student. I had, I learned how to excel on the skill set side. I had confidence on like how to dot the I's and cross the T's and get good grades and all of that sort of stuff. And that was very, that then became part of how I did life. And I right. could transfer that to other industries outside of school to building a business. But there were reps I had to put in specifically on business that were different than school. So how about you? Like, did you have to put more reps into the skill set side or the mindset side? Well, obviously skill set. I've always had to grow my skill set. So I think I think that's also um, a core thing. So I'm always I'm always looking to grow. I'm always looking to learn. I'm always looking to figure out a better way to do something. So so my skill set, I feel like is is always going to continue to evolve. And my mindset you know, I think has been supported through confidence that I have, my family support system, and things that keep me going, even when I'm feeling like my skill set is not there. And I think this, is, you know, it's a, it's a personal process that we all have to develop for ourselves, which is important, I think, for anybody. I think learning how to say no to the things that you don't want to do or don't like be it from food you don't want to eat to things you don't enjoy doing. Like I'm not particularly fond of going to concerts. I don't, they're really loud and there's a lot of people, but I have friends that love going to concerts and I can go to a concert if I'm with a group of people that I enjoy being with all day long. It doesn't matter. But like my daughter wants me to go to a Taylor Swift concert. I'm not particularly fond of Taylor Swift, but I would go with my daughter. You know, so it's things like that. So I think you have to learn how to say no to the things that you don't want to do. Yes to what you do like to do, but you also have to continue this personal process of learning how to evolve yourself because, and that's why it doesn't matter. Like if, if you're learning to excel at something, you have a personal process. So if you're, if you're in a sport and you are learning to be better at that sport, there's going to be times where you need like you hit walls and you have to go back to the basics and you have to sort of then go forward. And it's the same with everything. So it doesn't matter how you're trying to excel and challenge yourself because the process you're creating will be will be transferable to other things. So when you're done playing that sport, for instance, you can take that same process and apply it to, you know, like a lot of the people listening here to businesses. So, you know, if you're learning XYZ business, then, you know, you need to put a plan for yourself of what you're going to learn to continue to excel in that business. And when you hit walls, you need to have a process and the, I would say the, the mental fortitude to say, okay, I've hit a setback. I'm not going to quit. I'm just going to go back to my fundamentals, put my progress plan in place, and then I'm going to move forward. You know, I think it's important, however you learn to do that, be it playing a musical instrument, playing a sport, dance, Whatever it is that, that, you know, you like to do when you're young, I would say do that as much as you can. Learn if you're, if that is what excites you, do what, do that, improve yourself, excel at that, develop your personal process for, um, bettering yourself because you're going to need to use that to apply it to anything. I mean, and it's even like parenting. I mean, parenting through COVID. I mean, I used to have to change my parenting techniques every three to four months and I was doing it every week. 
because you, and then you go back and you say, okay, this doesn't work. I need to retool. I need to figure certain things out. And then I need to try them again. So I think mm-hmm. it's everything. You have to have the mindset not to be disappointed when things don't work and be able to say, okay, I'm going to bring this back and I'm going to start again and I'm going to try things a little bit differently and see if this works. That was a big one for me. I had to really learn that disappointment wasn't a personal reflection of my worthiness in life, that it was like to step out of any sort of internal conversation, that it was about who I was rather than, oh, I wasn't doing the reps. I wasn't, I didn't have the skill set. I didn't have the knowledge. I need to, I need to up my game. Your story sounds like you started that way. You come from the ballerina world. There was a lot of discipline in your, your upbringing and life and experience and the way you approach things. I had to really learn. It wasn't like I didn't do well, but I think I did well despite not having great discipline. Because when I started my business, oh boy, I was like washing the dishes in the middle of the day and like, like, cleaning out cupboards instead of like doing the things that needed to get done. I had to really learn what was required of me, put those reps in so that then I could have the freedom to decide, is this like you were talking about, I don't really love going to concerts, but I'm going to go with my daughter. Like that was, that's a decision to choose that. Or if I don't want to work this Wednesday because I want to do something else, that's a decision because then I have to put the reps in on Saturday. And I had to really learn that. Um, so I'm a little jealous that you were <laughs> you you had that going uh, right out. I want to make a point there, though. So your biggest competition is yourself. And no, I, I mean, people are going to listen to this and they're going to be like, oh, I wish I did this. This is my story. And and the, there's reasons behind my story. I And there's things that raising my kids that I've done differently so that they can have their own story. And everyone's story is different. And why people get up in the day is different. People's goals in the day are different. What I want to do today is different than what somebody else wants to do today. Your biggest competitor is yourself. And as soon as you start saying, oh, well, I wish I wanted to be like whoever, you're completely setting yourself up for failure. And it's great to listen to other people's stories and glean from them, but then Figure out how to internalize it for your own progress. Like take the things that work for you. Like there's someone I listen to and he spends like four hours like reading in the morning and doing all these projects. And then he works out like at three o'clock in the afternoon. Well, that sounds horrible to me. Like I would fail if I tried to do that. Like he's super successful, but I would fail because that's not what that's not how I like to organize my day. It's not where how I operate. My personal operating system does not work that way. And right. so I use my personal operating system, what I know makes me successful. And and then I sort of glean from different things and then create my own path. Right. You take the inspiration and the right. the meta concept and you figure out how it works for you. Totally right. get that. Totally get that. So before I ask my final questions, can you share where people can find out more about your core business and what you do. So Doc Properties, D-O-C Properties.com has a ton of information about me, about what I've accomplished. My email is a 
great way to reach me directly. Um, T Talbot at docproperties.com, T T A L B O T at docproperties.com. And the main phone number, people are welcome to call, is 602 341 3840. I will tell you, I, I uh, and I'm sure everyone hates, I hate doing 20 emails to make a, an appointment. So, or like trading phone calls. So email is the best way to say, hey, you know, I'd like to talk to you or schedule a time. And I have like Calendly links for different types of meetings. And and I find that to be an easy way to schedule something. I'm happy to schedule, you know, a live meeting at any time through Zoom if people aren't local or local if people want to. Um, but email is a great way to reach me uh, to say, yeah. hey, I want to connect. I love that. I love that. And one of the things that I saw that you wrote um, on your website is that the medical industry's real estate is recession proof. It doesn't go um, as dramatically up and down in the economy because everyone needs health care. It doesn't stop regardless of the yeah, economy. Affected, but like I said, the gap in the gain is a lot more smooth than some of the yeah. other ones that go really up and down. <laughs> yeah. So I love that. I love that. So how would you define what makes you an unstoppable woman? I don't want to quit. Like I just, you know, if I if I try something and fail, like that's more something that I can process rather than me just saying, just tapping out. And I think that, you know, that's what keeps, one of the things that keeps me going. Yeah, not afraid of failure there. I love that. So good. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate you sharing your stories and your perspective and what's made it possible for you to really scale and grow your business. So thanks for being here. No, you're welcome. Thanks. Thank you for having me on. 